But I knew what it felt like to never fit in. I was mm. constantly feeling like I was inside this club. I was born into this. This was my birthright, but I never felt like I belonged. If, if I could prevent somebody from feeling that alone inside of a crowded room, I was going to do that. Hello, my friends, and welcome to the Dig News Dreams podcast. I'm your host, Dave Capozzi. This week, I'm joined once again by my friend Stephanie, the ex-evangelical Zenial. And once again, we recorded this episode as a TikTok live, so there are a couple times we refer to commenters chiming in during the conversation. This was a really great conversation about the ex-evangelical community on TikTok, where it's been and where it could be heading. If you want to keep up with the podcast, Subscribe to whatever platform you're using to listen right now. You can find a consistent conversation happening on TikTok if you search for my name, Dave Capozzi, and on Instagram, YouTube, and Facebook at Dig News Streams Podcast. Without further ado, my conversation with the ex-evangelical Zenial. I can pretty much say any swear word, but I cannot say the Lord's name. Like I cannot say GD or, or JC or JC. I just cannot do it. It is um, for some reason. It's just like, I can't do it. I can't. And I admire everybody that does it. Like every single time somebody says it, I'm like, oh, it flows out of their mouth so nicely. Like, why can't I say that? But I can't. It's just not. It's, it's stuck in. And I, yeah, it's ingrained. I had this conversation with uh, Ron the blurred runner on TikTok about morality. And I think this is where it comes into play that even when people leave evangelicalism, the stuff sticks. So mm -hmm. the things that we say, like we think you said earlier when, when we were off air that taking the Lord's name in vain is more like someone judging the LGBTQ plus community while calling themselves a Christian. Right. Yeah. Yes. But the reason we think that is based on the morality system that we come from. So that's where it's confusing. We have to recognize that the way we think about the world is completely shaped by yeah. evangelicalism. So that, inclu that includes thinking that we should treat LGBTQ plus people with love, respect, kindness, generosity, without judgment. So mm -hmm. that's what's very confusing about all of it. But I think that's where um, not a lot of us acknowledge where that stuff comes from because we're too busy and for good reason, right? Acknowledging all the really harmful, nasty ways that that tradition has judged and shamed us. So GD will not so be GD. said by our friend, the ex-evangelical Zenial. No, Stephanie will not be saying that. <laughs> so what are some other ways that maybe you notice that that's still, there's still that remnant of evangelical morality? Yes. Okay. In... Thank you. Because yes. I, I haven't done this on TikTok no? because I forget about it. Okay. Um, It's things like not allowing myself to be first in line, even if I show up first. The last shall be first. Yep. Okay. And and then I, I feel guilty about it. I feel guilty 
with going into like a line for food in my own family. Like I feel what? guilty for taking it because it's like my own food. Um, <laughs> so you, so you're, but I just, it's just like, uh, the, the humility competition. Yeah. You know, yeah. we all did it in church. Everybody did it right. Like, Oh, yes. that, per like, look at that person. I had a friend who would purposely park very far away from buildings so that all the elderly people could park in the front. And mm. I mean, yeah, I guess it's nice, but also you're assuming that a large amount of elderly people are going to show up at Target. True. All at this time. That's a lovely thought. It's a lovely thought, but it's also a very fractured thought mm. because it's, again, trying to compete with, hum you know, trying to compete for humility. Yeah. Yeah. The This within, so within the tradition that we were brought up with, the definition of love is self-sacrifice. So anything that you can do to put yourself last mm -hmm. is the most good thing that you can do. And so you yeah. still do that to this day. Um, In yes. some ways. Yeah. In some ways. Yeah. Um, can I tell you a story? Of course. <laughs> This is a really I would love for you to tell us the story. Yeah, this yeah. is really embarrassing. Um, when I was newly married, we had we had like no money. Um, but Hollywood Video was doing their thing where you could pay like 15 bucks a month and you could rent unlimited videos. Yes. So that was our entertainment. So every day I would go in and, and get something or every other day. And if there were movies that were out of place, I felt like, God had placed it on my heart to put those movies back in the right place. Amen. Um, I did this for weeks and maybe months. Wow. And I spent an awful lot of time in Hollywood video making sure that everything, like anytime I pass something, it's, it's integrity. I have to be a person of integrity. Right. I did everyone's job at Hollywood video for them for free. Right. I paid them. You did. I paid them $15 a month to organize their shelves. And I thought I was being a really, really, really good servant of Jesus. Okay. So it was connected to religion for you. 100%. Yeah. Because if I passed it and I didn't do anything, then I didn't have the spirit of God. I took James 5:12 very seriously. If you see a brother in need and you do not give, then the love of Jesus Christ is not in you. Wow. And that <laughs> So, it's not about Candace is asking if they paid you. My guess is no. And did they did they give you I any paid kind them. of dis you did, but did they give you any kind of discount? They're like, "This lady is like organizing no. our shelves." No, but the guy that worked there was also newly married. He was, uh, he was a very, very nice guy. And um, I think we may have became friends, but that was because I organized his shelves. I organized his store for him. <laughs> Do you, okay. That, that brings up something for me. Do you find that the way that you used to make friends or connections was by constantly putting yourself out? So basically, um, going out of your way to make someone else feel comfortable at the cost of your own comfort. 
is yeah. this a way that you felt like within church or within your life that sort of a, another way that you'd put yourself second, right? Did you find that that was true for you? Yeah. Um, I, I grew up with a narcissistic parent. So yeah. every relationship from toddler to I mean now I've recognized that and I've extracted a lot of that but all of it was performative mm. so yeah. uh, and then you add the evangelical movement into that which is inherently narcissistic mm. um and every relationship is performative I mean you can, I don't think that you can have the evangelical movement and a relationship that's non-performative. Like, I don't, I don't think that that is possible because you're performing for the, to be in the good graces of God, mm. you know? Mm. And, and I, and because you're doing that, like God is your, God is your overall representation and is supposed to be what models every relationship. So that's what you do with every relationship. Right. You know what I mean? Like right. I'm constantly trying to impress somebody. Mm. I'm constantly trying to make sure, am I okay? Is everything okay? What if this isn't okay? I'm, I'm constantly trying to, we're, we're all, we're all just people mm. that are trying to survive. Yes. And so I'm going to read the temperature of the room. I'm going to read your body language and immediately try to shift and mold myself so that you find me um, interesting so that you accept me in, in your group so that I have survival. Yes. So that I have, so that we have alliance with each other. Right. Um, so, because that's what survival meant for you as a child. And then, and yeah. be, and so many of us experience that on some level because within the tradition there is this setup for as some people are commenting um it's a trauma response it's a setup for abuse when the figurehead yeah. is jealous for you when the figurehead mm -hmm. requires you to submit yourself in a way that negates your most essential needs then that's the way that you're going to behave throughout your life. So do you find still on the other side, which isn't that far back in your rearview mirror, uh, mm -hmm. do you yeah, find that years. you're still, when you enter a room, that that's still sort of what's going through your mind? I think that I will always um, read the temperature of the room. I don't think that there will ever be a day that I will not do that because it's it's now who I am. Hmm. Um, it's how I use the information that I'm given. Um, do I use it as a way to hold power and manipulate? Do I use it as a way to um, be empathetic and intuitive, which I think is a very healthy way hmm. of of responding to information that I'm picking up on? Um, or do I use it as a way of allowing that to control me mm. and being afraid of it or being afraid of the people that I'm around? Um, 
I, I think that's, it's all, it's all about how I, how I perceive it. So yes. back in church, in the mega church, I'd walk into a room and if it felt a little off or if I, um, there were times where I just felt like, you know, I don't, um, I don't think that these people like me and I would immediately go inward, um, and allow that to become the truth and the narrative that I told myself. Yes. And that was my sensory nervous system telling my body, you are not safe. Yeah. Now, maybe I was safe, but my, my sensory nervous system was sending out those neurotransmitters saying, you're not safe, you're not safe, you're not safe. Um, because I was brought up in a home where love bombing was the thing. So if somebody mm. wasn't love bombing, yeah, it didn't feel safe. Right. Because most of the time in life, people aren't just going to be doing that. They're just going about right. their own life, right? Right. Doing their own thing. And you're, you're up there, especially as someone who's leading music in a church, you're trying to create an atmosphere where you're kind of love bombing. <laughs> oh, right? 100%. Yep. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I feel like people saw me because, because I do have an extroverted personality and I, and I'm bubbly and I rally people. I'm the life of the party. Hmm. Um, people used that and forced me to operate in that space in a very unhealthy way. Hmm. So they saw me as the love, you know, somebody that would love bomb everybody that walked in the door. Yeah. I was their narcissistic hype man. I Oof. mean, that's right. Like that, I I was a tool for their narcissism. I got them to where they wanted to be. I got more people in the door. I made people feel, and I, I was genuine with this. Right. I wasn't, there wasn't, um, I wasn't lying when, when yeah. I said, I'm really happy you're here. I'm an extrovert. I'm happy with more people. Yeah. So I'm not, I'm, that's not a lie. I think that's where people struggle now. We do genuinely want these things. I believe that. And I've been around enough pastors, enough music leaders to know that there's like a genuine earnestness to why they're doing what they're doing. Mm -hmm. It's, And so what a lot of us that have left now project back onto it is bad intentions on top of bad outcomes. Mm -hmm. Right. And I think to hear that is important that what you were doing up there was this, I really want you all to feel, I'm happy you're here. And I want to connect with you. And so does Jesus. <laughs> and because you believed that. Mm -hmm. And it might have been heightened with lights, fog machines, microphones, and all that other sort of stuff. But there is this, this like genuine attempt to convey to people that you feel the love, you want them to feel the love. Yeah. I mean, I would so in the mega church, um, I was part of the executive team for women's night. Um, and it had a specific, it was called something very specific that sounded so similar to Charlie's angels. Um, <laughs> I'll have to tell you off of this, but you're going to love it. Um, we even had necklaces like gold necklaces. Like we were branded if we were on the exec team, the exec leadership team. Um, but we, one of the things that that I would do is I would reserve a whole row for conference or for ladies night. Mm. And 
people would like when they would walk in the door, I would tell them, I reserved a seat, you know, like you can come yes. sit in my row. I have mm. I have spots for you. And so that way you know who I am and you at least know one person. And because I knew what it felt like to never fit in. I was mm. constantly feeling like I was inside this club. I was born into this. This was my birthright, but I never felt like I belonged. Mm. Um, and so I I wanted if if I could prevent somebody from feeling that alone inside of a crowded room, I was going to do that. Even if I never felt like I belonged, I was going to make sure that other people felt like they belonged. So. Stephanie, that is so real. And that's exactly what I remember when I became a, an associate pastor. I was a youth pastor at first. And what drove me. I remember to do that was I was bullied as a 12 and 13 year old. I felt alone and I wanted to make sure that if I had it within me, I could make sure that that's not what's happening for other kids. Yep. You know? And so as much as it wasn't necessarily, um, you know, for Jesus, it was an awareness of I'm doing this because it's coming from a true place within me. Yeah. I felt like I had tried every way. When when I left church, I exhausted, I felt like I exhausted every single way of mm. trying to fit in and trying to to have friends. Yeah. Um, no matter what I did, I could not make myself fit in. I'd exhausted every single thing that I could think of to try to make myself fit in. Mm. I, I, I had uh disordered eating for so many years because I felt like I needed to be, I needed to, I couldn't be thin enough. I wasn't pretty enough. I wasn't thin enough. I wasn't, mm. um, I, I was too smart. Um, I needed to dumb down my intelligence to talk to men because it made them feel uncomfortable. I, and same with some women in power, um, wow. I was too loud. I was, I was too funny. I, you know, I, I, I never fit inside this box that I was supposed to fit in as a woman of God. And I didn't understand because you would see people like Lisa Bevere and Joyce Meyer and these, these women that I detest now, <laughs> but like wholeheartedly detest, um, and I thought, I don't understand. I'm like that. I'm la like I'm a le I'm a natural born leader. Yeah. I can't help but lead, not in a demonstrative way, not like a I have to I have to take this over and change it and and make it my own and make it an image of myself. Not like that. Yeah. I just instinctively know how to lead in situations. Yeah. And I never understood that that we could like as women we could be like that but we weren't allowed to be like that and um yes women that were leaders would become very jealous and i'm not yeah. saying that in an egotistic way i mean that women in the church that are in leadership when they get jealous they get vindictive hmm. and do you well that 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 could well 
I see that as an outcome of patriarchy because yeah. it, because yeah. um women are there are limited positions for women. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so women are forced to compete with one another in a way that is not natural but is it is literally man-made. And so you're in these positions where you're like, well, I'm I have skills for that, but I've got to compete against this person so it becomes really com- combative, competitive yeah. in a really unhealthy way. I remember when I first started going to my husband and I family first started going to the mega church. We were becoming friends. I was becoming friends with the pastor's kids and somebody pulled me aside that I had been friends with for a little bit. And she said, you'll never be a, and she said their last name. You'll never be one of them. Whoa. Okay. And I, I, it's, what's interesting is when we left, we were going out with them, with the pastor and his wife Mm. every week. We were going out to dinner with them. I mean, we were, we were, we were up there in that status. Yeah. Right. Yes. But you still would never be one of them. No, but I would never be one of them. Um, I'm thankful, very, very, very thankful that we left yeah, and we escaped when we did because it's been said to me several times that the pastor was grooming us and I don't know for what. <laughs> um, wow. I, I have no idea what for, but it's that that church has since been kicked out of its denomination. Oh, wow. And it's not, not for a good reason, like no, marrying a gay couple no, or something. Okay. No, it's been kicked out of its denomination. Um, and it is actively seen from that denomination. They have called it a cult. So okay. I know oh, for a church denomination, a, a large expansive worldwide denomination to now abandon that one and Mm. say that's a cult you are no longer a part of us that's problematic Um, that's a big deal so i'm thankful that i'm not in that anymore yeah right it doesn't it doesn't make it right what happen like I, I think a lot of times people say well it's a good thing you never fit in no actually that that's still painful yes that's exactly. still painful exactly um not only is it painful to hear that but also this is the real conundrum and you and i have talked about this that so many of us experience a loss of community and a lot of us are finding it virtually right in these spaces these social media spaces but what we, we we've lost is consistency of gathering with people and experiencing this kind of like, we're on this journey together thing, right? Mm-hmm. But that community was coupled with things that were nasty, that were degrading, that were so against our instincts and our real sort of guiding conscience. Yeah. And so now here we are after that, without that same consistency of gathering in community 
so we i wonder what what is it that sort of can be a unifying move forward what have you found that sort of unites you with the people that you're connecting with on TikTok and any other space what what is sort of a common bond beyond yeah we hate evangelicalism it really did a number on us what else is there that you're finding is a common bond that's going to help us move forward into a new kind of community that does the things that we care about, does justice, stands up for LGBTQ rights, stands against racism? Like, what is that sort of thing that you find connects you to the people that are gravitating to you? Empathy. Mm. It's that simple, isn't it? <laughs> I love how quick you knew the answer. It's, it's empathy. Um, say more, please. <laughs> say more. Uh, <laughs> Brene Brown does that. Say more. Um, <laughs> I have spoken about this in in private with other content creators, um, and I think you're you're one as well that I've talked to about this. But um, I I worry that the ex evangelical community, because I do not see this with the ex Mormon community, mm. and I don't see this with the ex Jehovah's witness community. I see this specifically with the ex evangelical community. Um, and, and I'd, I'd love to break that. I'm fine with breaking that down with you in a second. Um, as why I think it is what it is. I'm very, I see things that are happening and it's alarming. And I, I worry that it's turning into its own cult. Mm. Um, just with certain people that want to give out how to be an atheist class, you either, ah. you either believe in something, you don't believe in something that you don't need a class to tell you that. Um, it agnosticism is sort of all, along those lines. Like you don't need to be taught how to live a life of agnosticism, how to wonder if there is something out there or yeah, not. Like I don't, I, I don't, I don't sit and think I'm puzzled how I wonder <laughs> that's not a thing, you know? <laughs> so I, I get, I get concerned with some of the things that I see. I mm. still see some of the very unhealthy behavior that I saw inside of the church occurring inside of an evangelical community mm. because we're making trauma bonds, but we're not going beyond that. Mm. There's not a lot of content creators out there that are making content that talk about life beyond the five stages of grief. Yeah. Do you think that this kind of a community, the way that it is set up has the potential to keep us in that stage? Is that what you're saying? To yeah. keep us in those five stages? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I think so. So, so you said that it, you don't find it in the ex-Mormon community and the ex-Jehovah's Witness community. What do you think it is about the ex-evangelical community that think, sort of causes that? Right. I think because... So with Mormonism and with Jehovah's Witness, they've got like, they've, they've got a ton of rules mm. and it's the same. Like it's, you know, you go to one ward in a Mormon church, you go to, it's, it's the same thing that's being in the temple. It's the same. Everything is the same. It comes down from the prophet. Mm. Okay. But in the evangelical community, all the rules are not talked about but insinuated and it's different in every denomination and every church within that denomination, because denominations and individual churches are governed by 
an individual pastor. Yeah, they might have bylaws, but if the pastor's mom has, or the pastor's dad has a revelation from the Lord that all of a sudden this is not okay to do, then all of a sudden our entire, like the whole entire congregation is not doing that. Right. (laughs) But you don't have that in the Mormon church. It comes from the prophet and then everybody falls in line. That's good. I think there are elements of what you're saying that are true, that evangelicalism is this sort of all over the place. Mm -hmm. We can't pick a lane thing. And at the same time, the power structures, the top players within the movement have been organized enough where they have captured Supreme Court justice seats. They have Mm -hmm. captured the presidency. They have captured Senate seats. And it is because of evangelicals that people like Marjorie Taylor Greene are in office, that Trump was elected, Mm -hmm. that we have those, and therefore the Supreme Court justice seats. And so there's enough of a commitment to a particular lane Mm -hmm. within evangelicalism. And that's what I'm interested in now. So with all of these X groups that we're together with, the fact that you know ex-Mormons and ex-Jehovah's Witnesses now, and I do too, what do what do we do in an organized way that is about doing justice for those that are marginalized and oppressed yeah. that uh, like it against the system that we come from that is about marginalizing the people that we care about so what does our organization look like i don't think we have answers now maybe you do but i know that okay so if empathy is the thing that connects us what is the movement Based on that empathy, I guess, is the question I have. Yeah. So what is empathy? In essence, you're putting yourselves, you're putting yourself in the other person's shoes and you're trying to see what it's like from the other person's eyeballs, from the other person's perspectives, their emotions, their feelings, their experiences. I know that I am a person of privilege. Um. How can I use that if if I have empathy? How can I use that to start something that helps that person that's marginalized? So um, one of the things that I want to do that I've talked about, I've talked about it on a live, I've talked about it in in uh, with with people in private, is i I want to start something that's national. Um, that has something state by state by state and not just like a cute little support group that goes on a zoom. I'm talking about like, I want somebody in that state to be active in looking up what they can do to, um, push for trans rights, to push for the rights for trans youth, to Mm. push for the rights of the LGBTQIA, to, push for, you know, protests and gun violence and all of that kind of stuff, um, protesting gun violence. Um, that's what I think we should do. I think we should still be doing the work that we thought we were a part of when we were in church. Oh, that's We should actually go and do it. If there's protests, if there's initiatives that can get on ballots, and that's the type of thing that I think that, that I know I want to do. 
in addition to that, offering that support and saying, yeah, like we can all get together and we can get, we can have coffee or our families can get together and we can have, um, you know, we can do dinner or, you know, whatever, spend a holiday together. Of course we need that support, but we're forgetting that the same people that needed that support when we were in the church still need it, but more, Yeah. more now than, than ever. Yeah. And I think what I'm, yes, to all that. And also what I'm curious about is from my days of community organizing, I know that we need to be understanding the needs of the people that are most impacted by injustice, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. And so in order to do that, we, you know, if we still hold on to these principles, one of the things that I get very concerned about for as someone who has spent his life working with people experiencing homelessness, working with people on, you know, in communities that are impacted by injustice. Um, I know that there's a lot of people that say they care. And this, this is from the most liberal people, right? Mm -hmm. And yet live the furthest away from those that are affected by it. And, and their engagement with it is through charity and through here. Let me just pop that over there. And I'm curious for us as ex-evangelicals, ex-Mormons, ex-Jehovah's Witnesses, if we know that's the case and that is the result of power over conquest, imperialism, all of this other sort of stuff, if we know that's the case and we don't want to repeat that, then our justice efforts have to be more connected to that empathy that got us out. And so I wonder what it looks like to not necessarily forsake our privilege, but to understand what it drives us to do. So it drives us to almost be more like, (laughs) and forgive me for anyone that's triggered by this, but to be more like the person that we understand in Jesus who is like, you know what? I'm good with all the stuff I could have. I want to be among the people that are suffering in a way that helps me to understand better. It helps me to fight alongside them and to listen to them for their voices as we fight for justice. And so what's essential about that, and this is a little bit of a rant, um, is for us to be consistently together. And that's where we, we've been spread out. And I love Mm -hmm. this app for this reason. I love this conversation for this reason, that it brings us together. That like these people that have left all these different religious traditions are now together. So the question is, what do we do with that power? Because there's so much power in that, right? And you are touching on that. You're touching on it a lot. Those dreams of what does it look like for us to galvanize around this movement around the country in Ohio and like that question of how do we stay together in a way that connects us for a common purpose. That's what I'm wondering about. I think that's what Jesus was trying to do. Um, We just took it and decided that we wanted to eliminate our own suffering, not other people's suffering. (laughs) Whereas um, that happens to be the antithesis (laughs) of the message. Um, It's this, but it's this like, it's this fine line because you talked earlier at the very beginning about how we forsake ourselves for, right? for the good of others. And so we we do this thing. But only like, to a point where where I where I don't feel uncomfortable. Right. Like right, I didn't right, right. think that it was a big deal to put movies back on the shelf. Like it didn't <laughs> ever occur to me that that's 
like now I see it and I'm like, wow, I was really nuts. Um, I was very zealous. Um, <laughs> cause it's like a, what is it? A, a pilgrim by itself is just an overzealot individual, but yeah. two pilgrims together on a pilgrimage. Yes. Um, yes. That's so so I was, I was just overzealous. Um, <laughs> but we're, I really believe that the ex high demand religion religious community i i believe in in whatever stage people are at in their grieving that we can work towards trying to eliminate suffering without taking away people's rights to individuality because I can go into a community and try to eliminate their suffering while being incredibly offensive to them. Yeah. Well, by, by perpetuating suffering rather than alleviating, right? Because exactly. we don't, yeah, absolutely. And I, I think it's time for, I, I, I think that it's a good thing to talk about anger and to, all that, all of that is okay. Like the stages of grief yes. are, are great. They're for the living. They're not, the stages of grief were written to grieve the living, to mm. grieve things in this life. The mm. stage of like the person that authored the stages of grief was not talking about losing somebody mm. to death. Mm. They were talking about grieving in this life. Like whether you're grieving the living or whether you're grieving the loss of a job or the loss of a a relationship like that's what the five stages of grief was actually written about mm. and i think that it's beautiful to walk through that but we can get stuck if we don't start to use our anger as a tool like that a catalyst us forward yeah 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 how long have you been doing how long have you been sort of active on tiktok at this point late august okay okay yeah. so in your time where you've been investing energy into this community building because you know we can we can easily poke fun at it call it you know social media whatever we want but this is a genuine effort at building community at expressing yourself at getting your story out at grieving all these things in the time that you've been doing this You've now you've you've experienced something. You've said, "Well, it seems like well, a lot of us are grieving still," and you're now not quite a year yet in. At what point are you like thinking about sort of shifting that for yourself? Are you starting to shift the conversation within your own page? What does that look like for you, as someone who you know has followers? who people see as, you know, the ex-evangelical Xennial, as someone that they are sort of looking to, like, what does it look like for you to sort of walk people through that as someone that sees themselves as a leader? Because you are. Um, great question. I think that I can be in the acceptance stage and move forward and still experience denial. Yeah, still... it's all... It's going, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's fluid. Grief, it's, yeah. grief is not linear. Right. It's it's this. Yes. And sometimes it's this. You know, yeah. it just yeah. It, right. Yeah. <laughs> this um that's grief. Yes. And that's life. 
Yeah, that exactly. That's life. Yeah. And so I, with my page, I don't, I call it like, for me, it's a community and people that are, that follow this page, they're part of this community. Yes. And I, I still, I get that it's larger now, but in my mind, it's still only a hundred people. <laughs> like it's, it's not where it's at. Um, yeah. Because I try very, very hard to engage with every single person. Is that mm. exhausting? Yes. Is it time consuming? Yes. But everybody that is in the community that's being built matters to me. Every single one of those people matters to me. Um, I've got a big question for you. Yeah. Why? Because I see myself in every single one of them. Because yeah. they breathe. <laughs> because they exist. And because they they have value. Hmm. Every, every person has value to me. Not because they can do something for me. But because they are them because they can do something for themselves because they are somebody worth loving. There's somebody worth seeing and there's yep. somebody worth taking interest in and noticing. And I spent my whole life not being seen and not being valued. And I still struggle with that today. I still wake up and I think, Am I seeing, like, am I even doing anything? Thank you so much for taking the time to listen. I hope this conversation inspired some new thoughts or questions within you. Until next time, peace, my friends. <laughs>